Well, welcome to Ridgetop Church. Um, we started a sermon series last week. We've been calling Becoming Human, and it's uh, from Matthew 5, uh, which is uh, the beginning of uh, what is typically called the Sermon on the Mount. And the idea is that life lived apart from God results in us being less than human. Uh, a life lived reconciled to God as then and only then when we actually become human again. The unfolding story of the Bible, you, you can state it this way, it starts off with humans being created. They're in the presence of God. They're in this state of blessedness, uh, and they are fully human. But then because of sin, they're decreated, and uh, they, they are acting and being less than human as a result of rejecting God, rejecting His ways, rebelling against them. But the good news of the Bible is that Christ, through His death on the cross, uh, His payment for that sin that was calling the, causing the decreation, we are now being recreated. Right? We're being made back into fully human beings. And eventually, we'll all dwell in the new creation. Those who have been, who've been recreated in Christ will spend an eternity with Christ, and that will really be our fully human state, is in the new creation. And so the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus inviting us into this recreated state that will eventually lead to this new creation. The opening part of the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes, and it's about this mostly inward transformation that occurs. And so to be become human, we don't start on the outside, right? We're not human doings, we're human beings. And so Jesus starts inward. And so if you didn't catch that sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and look on uh, SoundCloud or wherever you listen to podcasts, you look up Riched Up Church, you can listen to that uh, sermon because it's really the gateway in to this sermon series um, and, and really begins with this interior transformation but then Jesus quickly moves outward all the way into mission. So he goes from like, blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and those who are merciful and those who are meek, all this inward stuff. And, and then he moves outward. And even the last two Beatitudes are really outward facing. If you remember, if you were here last week, um, one of those Beatitudes is in Matthew 5 verse 9 Jesus said this, but blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In the very next one, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So those beatitudes are about engagement with the world. And so he's describing his kingdom citizens bringing the message of peace, right? The message that peace has been made with God through Christ and that not everyone is going to respond to that with open arms, right? That this peacemaking ministry will sometimes cause an experience of persecution. But thankfully, it's not all negative responses to the peacemaking ministry. And this is where we get into the passage today, that there's a lot of positive outcome from the presence of the church and the message of the church in the world, and that positive outcome is described by Jesus with these two 
metaphors of salt and light. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. What does it mean to be salt and light in the world? And then consider how we ourselves can embrace that vision of being salt and light in the world. And I think this is really timely for us as a church, right? We are a church plant. And so we, uh, yes, certainly about uh, building up our relationships within our core, within our church, um, but we're also a lot about how can we reach the city? How can we engage with those who are not yet Christians? So I think this passage has a lot to say to us in this moment as a church. So um, before we get into the salt and light, we, we want to talk about, a little bit about what this says about the bigger picture of what it means to become fully human. Because evidently, to become fully human is to be on mission with God. We don't usually think of it that way. But like if we're, if we're going to embrace this, this uh, fully human vision, we are going to be on mission with God. And this is what was true about humans when they were created in the garden. So I shared this verse with uh, you last week from Genesis 1.28. After God creates human beings, it says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this is humans at the very beginning. And, and God is inviting them to be on mission with Him, to be on a co-mission with Him. And in that co-mission, they are to be uh, having lots of babies, right? Image bearers that are reflecting the image of God. And He's saying, I, I want you to multiply. But not just that. I want you to steward the earth. I want you to manage it, rule it, subdue it, and, and so this certainly doesn't mean that they're the ultimate rulers and subduers. God is obviously the ultimate ruler and subduer of all domains. But he's inviting humans in to be co-reigners, co-laborers on a co-mission with him. And so part of what Jesus is doing when he starts talking to us about mission is he's, he's welcoming us back in to the state of blessedness that Adam and Eve were experiencing in the garden. He's saying, you want to become fully human? Come and get on mission with God. So let's talk about what that mission looks like. So he says, verse 13 of Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. That may sound a little strange to our ears. Salt isn't much to us except, you know, something to put on French fries. I mean, I, I like salt on my French fries. Uh, my baked potato, um, but it would have meant much more to ancient hearers. Uh, salt was very valuable in the ancient world. They didn't have the kind of mining techniques that we have. And so at times in like first century Roman Empire, salt was measured out ounce for ounce, the same value as gold. So a Roman soldier sometimes, not, not always, but at, at times in the Roman uh, Empire was paid with salt. This is where we get the phrase, if you ever heard, that they're not worth their salt, right? This is the, the, the word that was given uh, for this, what was given to the Roman soldier was a salarium, which is where we get our word salary, right? So salt was very, very valuable. 
So when they heard Jesus saying, you are the salt of the world, they're like, wow, we're pretty, pretty important. We're pretty valuable. We have some worth that's being given to us by God. Salt was also used as a, a preserving agent. In a world with no refrigeration, which of course um, the first century was, and uh, actually we are that today, the, the refrigerator broke in the kitchen. Melanie goes back there to look at, you know, to get some things out of there, and it is completely covered in mold because it had been sitting in this hot, you know, refrigerator. Things don't stay preserved if there's no refrigeration. So what if you don't have that option in the first century? Well, you have to salt things, right? And so especially meats, if you want to keep meat around for more than a day or two, you're going to have to salt that meat down. And so that, that was such an important part of the use of salt, this idea of preservation. So then, uh, you know, certainly also seasoning, right? And that's how we think of salt as uh, a seasoning, and they certainly would have thought that as well. Uh, interesting thing about salt, salt doesn't really have value because it has a taste in and of itself that's valuable. I mean, do you ever put your finger in salt and just eat straight salt? I mean, maybe some of you do, but you're weird, all right? Um, you do that with sugar, right? Like it has a taste and you want to taste it. You don't want to do that with salt. So why do you put salt on your food? Well, it brings the, the taste that's already there in the food. It, it's an enhancement of the taste, right? So see, these are some of the things that uh, salt was in the first century. So it's valuable, it's a, pres a preservative, it's a seasoning. And so what is Jesus saying when he says, we're the salt of the earth? Some kind of combination of those. I don't want to make too bold a claim that I know exactly what he's saying. Um, if we step back a bit, I, I, I think at least what we can know that, that he seems to be saying is it's a somewhat invisible effect that the, that, that the church has on the world. Uh, that by virtue of the church, of Christians in the church being present in the world, the world should be a better place. I think he's definitely saying that, right? It should be a better place. That they should be preserving the world from moral and spiritual decay. That they should be seasoning the world with truth and beauty. And so the world is a better place, should be, because the church is salting the earth. Um, and this is certainly true. The church definitely has lots of black eyes and does, you know, a lot, lot of uh, things that are uh, to be ashamed of, but it also does a lot of good things that make life better. And a lot of, a lot of people don't even realize um, that this is, this is occurring, right? Like the, in America, for instance, the earliest schools hospitals, orphanages, all were started by Christians. You, you couldn't find any of those three that were just like, well, we're just secular people and we just want to start this thing and be nice people. No, it was, it was generated by Christian people. The YMCA, the YWCA, Christian Roots, right? The, uh, Salvation Army, Christian base. Even Alcoholics Anonymous, you read the history of how we got Alcoholics Anonymous. The roots are Christian. 
Uh, and those are some of the big names, right? We have lots of homegrown entities in, in all kinds of cities and towns uh, all over uh, America. We have the Austin Baptist Chapel in, uh, in Austin, which is something that's supported by the Baptist churches in the city. And they have fed and clothed and counseled the homeless for decades. And it's just kind of a quiet ministry. It just gets it done day in, day out, day in, day out. Tens of thousands of people have been helped through that. This is happening across the globe, right? Not just in the U.S. I was talking to uh, a missionary doctor this week who he and his wife serve in Cambodia. And they are serving some of the poorest people in Cambodia with medical care. And they're doing that in the name of Christ. Um, ministries like Samaritan's Purse and Disaster Relief Ministries from the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the denomination we're part of, they are typically the first people on the ground in any national or international disaster. And why? They're Christians. They, they, they love people. They want to help and, and serve and be salt. It doesn't have to be organized efforts, though. It can be uh, simple day-to-day things that we do as Christian people. Um, Melanie has a snack ministry in her class. She's a seventh grade teacher. And um, kids, you know, they come, they forget lunch, they get hungry or whatever. They know they can go to Miss Cremorah's room and they can get a snack, right? That's being salt. And some of those snacks are salty. So it's a, it's a double, double salting. Um, uh, you know, Alberto, he opens up his room for, he's a school teacher, and opens up his room at lunch. And instead of having a quiet lunch to himself, which he could definitely use, he's like, you kids want to come by in a quiet place and have lunch and chat? I'm here, right? That's being a salty, salty Christian, right? Um, and so, again, it can, it can be organized efforts, it can be national, international, local, and and definitely the day-to-day ways of, of serving people, meeting these kind of concrete needs that people have in Christ's name. Now, Jesus warns that it's possible for people that profess to be his followers and are present in the world to lose their saltiness. There's a little warning that's tucked in here. I don't know if you caught that. You were the salt of the earth, uh, verse 13, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So salt officially cannot, it can't lose its saltiness like a grain of salt. You know, you're like, oh, it was salty today, but it's not salty. Yeah, that's not really how salt works. But what can happen is salt can get diluted. And so you throw some sand into your salt and you no longer have a, a, a salty, a potent salt, saltiness in that uh, salt anymore. It's now kind of salty-ish, and you can just use it as dirt and basically throw it out into um, the, the street, which was the ancient world, um, you know, like place where you throw your trash. Uh, they didn't really have a good pickup system of garbage trucks that came by and got your trash. You just throw it out on the street. So it's Jesus saying... It's that, it's that valuable, or lack of valuable. It's like, throw it out in the street. And, and so he, what's he saying there? He, he's saying it's possible uh, for Christians to, lo- to lose that potency. 
Right? And I think in part what he's saying is when they don't do it in the name of Christ, when they don't do it in conjunction of Christ-like character, they may be doing good things, but if it's not done in the name of Christ and in the, in, in, in the context of Christ-like character, it loses its potency. Right? And so, for instance, in uh, Matthew 19... Uh, Jesus is talking about heavenly reward in verses 28, 29. He says, Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And notice how he's talking about heavenly reward. He's not saying, well, if you did some good things, I'll give you some rewards. He's saying, you who have followed me, you who have done these things in my name's sake, that's who's getting the reward. And I, I think he's getting at this, this, the potency of our efforts to serve people in these ways. It, it's done in the name of Jesus and inconsistent, consistent with Christ-like Character. I think one of Jesus' goals in the Sermon on the Mount is to make us salty, right? For, for us to become Christ-like in our character. So as we're intersecting with the world in our service, and later we'll talk about in uh, our, our verbal witness, uh, we have a potency because we've been shaped to be like Christ. We're salty. Um, and so this, this is... Um, so important if we're going to actually be the salt of the earth. Um, when we're not centered on Christ, when we're not doing what we're doing in His name, that's when we begin to lose our saltiness, and it happens all the time. Um, I remember having a conversation with one of the board members of Habitat for Humanity, which is a great organization. They build homes for people. Uh, they have Christian values and roots. Uh, but in New England, where we lived, um, they had totally lost all of the Christian uniqueness of Habitat for Humanity. And they were doing more apologizing for the Christian roots of their organization than they were speaking of Christ and the reasons that they were doing what they were doing in the first place. And so did they build some homes? Yeah, they did. And, and then they give some shelter to some folks? Absolutely. Was that good? Yeah, it was good. It wasn't very salty. Because it really, it really wasn't any kind of a Christ-like influence that was done in His name. And so this salty living uh, is this somewhat invisible way of serving that's done in the name of Christ. In the name of Christ. Uh, which brings us to our next image, the light, right? In verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Such an interesting phrase, right? I mean, Jesus in, you know, in the Gospel of John says, I am the light of the world. He's like, which is it, Jesus? Well, he's obviously the source of that light. But the way that he is getting this done is through his people. The way he's reflecting that light out into the world is through his people. This is plan A. There is no plan B. And, and so much so that he's willing to say, you, kingdom dweller, you, church, you are the light of the world. 
Light was certainly valuable in the ancient world, especially at nighttime. Um, it, it was really hard to deal with darkness when you don't have electric light. We don't really have any sense of what this is like. I mean, at our apartment, um, every light is on a motion detector. And so you drive into the garage, lights come on, light, 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 light. You, you walk through the corridors, light, light, it, just everywhere you go. And it's awesome, right? You're never in a, a dark corner at any time. Um, this is not the ancient world, right? The ancient world really was fighting to dispel darkness at, at all times at, at, in, the dark, in, the, in the nighttime. And so you had candles and you had oil lamps and you had torches, but these are not that effective in dispelling darkness. And so whatever light you did have, you were really grateful for it because you couldn't just go over and turn on the switch. And, and so part of what uh, he's saying there is you're really valuable again, right? Like you are the salt of the earth. They would have thought, wow, this is, this is an important role that we're playing in God's mission. And when he says you are the light of the world, they're like, wow, this is a really important role uh, for us to participate in God's mission uh, he's also pointing to the idea that he himself is a bringer of the light, which is all throughout the Old Testament, especially prophets, right? So Isaiah 9-2, which we've been reading this during Christmas time, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That scripture is about the Messiah. Right? And so their understanding of the Messiah coming was that it's dark, Messiah comes, and then he dispels the darkness. And that the method of spreading this light, again, in the prophets, was all, always that, yes, Messiah would bring the light, but he would also then use his people to give that light to the rest of the world. And you see that in places like Isaiah 42, uh, verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and I will keep you. And I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So you see both of these themes in the Old Testament prophets of the Messiah being the light bringer, but then making his people light bringers as they reflect his light to the rest of the world. And so this image of, of, of light I think is pointing to the more visible witness that God's people make in the world. So salt is somewhat invisible, light is very visible. So think of it this way, that, that the salt, the potency of the salt, uh, these, these, these acts of service combined with the potency of the light, this verbal witness is what makes for a fruitful witness in the world. You need both salt and Light. You might think of it this way, that salt is more the things we do that demonstrate the gospel, and light is more the things we do to uh, proclaim the gospel. And when those things are together, it's really powerful in the, in the witness that it is of the truth of the gospel. You see Jesus training his disciples in this way, right? So Matthew 10, and I'm just, I'm going to Matthew every... Many times as I can to, to show you the threads that are in the book as a whole and how they tie in with the Matthew 5. Um, Matthew 10, verse 5 says, These 12, uh, 12 disciples, Jesus sent out 
instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that was the, the message that Jesus was preaching that we read about in Matthew chapter 4 last week. But then he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. So he teaches them both to proclaim this message, but also to demonstrate that message as well, to meet spiritual needs with the message of the gospel, but also meet physical needs. And they were doing it miraculously so. And sometimes that's what God calls us to, is to, to pray for a physical need that someone has, to pray for a financial need. And God miraculously does that. And that's a demonstration of uh, the, the gospel message. But it's always the, the pairing of the two, of this demonstration and this proclamation. Now think about if they only went out and proclaimed. Think about, you know, Peter, James, John, these, these old smelly fishermen, they're walking around in villages. They're like, we're here for, with a message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they'd be going, you guys are nuts. You're crazy. But because it was paired with a demonstration, they go, oh, maybe we should listen to these guys. And then what if they just demonstrated? What if they just showed up? So who's sick? Who need, has some needs? Uh, we're going to pray for you. You're healed. And that was it. They would think, you are a magician. You're a guru. Maybe you're an Old Testament prophet. They, they, they have no way of connecting it to the Messiah, Jesus. In fact, this happens in the, in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas are in a village, and they do a healing, and they start calling them Zeus and Hermes, and they start trying to worship them. Because they've not yet had the proclamation enough to understand. This didn't come from Zeus and Hermes. This, this came from Jesus, right? And so you need this, this coupling of both the demonstration and uh, the proclamation. Now, this is no different in 2023 Austin, Texas. So here we are, Ridge Top Church. We're a church plant. We're on a mission. We're reaching into the city. We're reaching into the campuses. How do we do it? Salt and light. Salt and light. Salt, we're called by our king to serve in the city. We're called by our king to serve in the city. What might that look like? Might it look like working with an organization? Yes, it might. It will also definitely look like a listening ear, right? It will look like a shoulder to cry on. Money for a medical bill that someone has, uh, dinner invitation, simple birthday gift for a neighbor, free babysitting, a prayer offered up to God for someone's need. That kind of salting in the context of our relationships with people, our neighbors, our coworkers, our, our, our family members, and we're just, we're just salting simple acts of service in the name of Christ. We're also called by our king to speak up about the message of the gospel. Uh, our Savior King has saved us from our sin, has reconciled us to God. And we want to bring as many other people with us as we can. We want to see as many other people come to the knowledge of that truth and respond in saving faith and be brought in. See them baptized and be a part of, their, of this kingdom people. And that's only going to happen 
if we're speaking up about gospel truth. Sometimes that's speaking about uh, the kind of in a summary fashion, the, the gospel itself. Sometimes that's an invite to study scripture together and have ongoing conversations about it. I think oftentimes it is that. People don't necessarily have the foundation to have a one kind of one conversation about what, why Christ died on the cross. They're like, what? I'm interested, but man, I'm not getting it. And, and that's okay, right? So sometimes it's an ongoing thing. And we'll even institute some things this spring. I'll talk about this in the members meeting um, where we, we do some exploratory kinds of groups for folks that, hey, they're interested, they want to explore, and they need some time to read the Bible, ask some questions, and start to explore the message of the gospel. Now, for some of us, we're hearing this, we're like, yeah, this is exciting. I want to be a part of this. Some of us are going, that sounds really hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm worried about that. I don't know if I can do that. Evidently, that was true in the first century too because Jesus speaks to that, the temptation to hide the light, right? He says, uh, verse 14, you're the light of the world. And then he goes into a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, those first century hearers hear that, and they probably laughed, because there is no way at night, if you had a lamp burning, you would have covered it up. You, you were in such need of light. You would put it up on a stand, put it up in a place where it, it can dispel as much darkness as possible. And Jesus is saying, I, I, I know it's scary. <laughs> I know you may be tempted to hide that light, but I'm telling you, let's, let's, let's let that light shine. The light of your verbal witness, your verbal testimony about what Christ has done for you, and the explicit truth claims of the gospel. Let that, let that shine and dispel the darkness. And the result of that Yes, sometimes persecution, which he's warned us about, but even better, <laughs> Matthew 5, 16, listen to what he, how he describes it. I think he, this is where he's bringing the salt and light together. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think he, he's weaving these, these two ideas together, these good works, which are the somewhat invisible salt kinds of activities, and then the light, the visible, explicit witness to the gospel. And when, when people are, are loved well and affected by acts of service and they hear the message of the gospel in explicit ways, then they can respond to it with faith. And they can be reconciled with their Father in heaven through faith in Christ. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you're the salt and the light. This is what can happen when you do that. When you are the salt and the light, you can be uh, an effective witness among others. And again, they're both necessary um, to be effective, right? So if you're all light and no salt, you're kind of a jerk for Jesus, or at least that's how you sometimes are perceived, right? Now, certainly at times, it's appropriate. Just give a verbal witness. Like, you meet somebody, they're open, they're interested. You don't need to wait and, you know, I'm going to do three acts of service before I tell you something. Um, but oftentimes, if that's the way we lead, then 
they, they're like, oh, all you care about is trying to get me into your church or get me into your religion. You don't really care about me. And so that, that light only uh, oftentimes is seen as a jerk for Jesus. But all salt and no light. You're just a good person. Oh, you're just so good. You're so nice. I like having you as my friend. Man, you've got so much integrity. Wow, you're amazing, right? And, and if at that point you're not saying, I'm not amazing, let me tell you who is amazing because he is the one who has transformed me to make me who I am today, then you're missing an opportunity, right? It's, it's salt and it's light. Now, for some in the room, maybe you haven't yet believed in the explicit witness of the gospel, right? You, you can't be salt and light if you haven't received the gospel by faith. This is what transforms you into someone who could actually have a potency out in the world. If, if, if you have yet to receive that forgiveness that can only come through Christ, then you, you will just be trying hard to be a good person. Maybe some good things will happen. Build a few houses, do a few things. Those things, it's good, but it's not going to be what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a potency that is so uh, effective that people's eternity is changed. Not just they have a roof over their head or they have some food or they have, have a better life here in this world, but, but they are glorifying their Father in heaven because of the effect that you've had on people through being salt and light. And know that when you accept that grace that Christ has offered you from his death on the cross, that he's then going to invite you into mission, to be on mission to then give that message to others. This was actually a draw for me and why I wanted to be a Christian. Maybe that sounds weird, but um, I wanted to be a part of something bigger than me. I wanted to be part of something that was bigger than a job I could get or a house I could buy. And, and so the mission of being on mission with Jesus, my king, was part of, not the only thing, but part of what was drawing me to Christ. You might feel that way. You might feel that way. That this invitation to be the salt and light of the world, to be part of, not maybe not all, but part of what might draw you to Christ. Because you can be on mission with God, your king. Now, some of you maybe never really thought about this much, right? That's okay. That's why you're here. Glad you're here. Let's think about it. Here's some questions you can ask yourself. Uh, one is, where has God placed me? Where has he placed me? And I want you to think about it in that way. Not, oh, I'm just kind of cruising randomly through life, and I just happen to have this certain job and live in this certain neighborhood. But no, no. God is ordaining your steps. And so the neighborhood you live in, the job that you hold, the classes that you take, the apartment that you live, what, what, whatever, wherever you do your living, God has placed you there to be salt and light. Right? Sometimes this will happen when um, I meet up with a student for the first time and, and meet in their dorm room, and we'll be chatting. And if it's a Christian student, I'll say, tell me what's going on on your floor. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, who's on your floor? 
You know, who, who's a Christian? Who might be open to the gospel? What's going on spiritually in this, on this floor, right? And some of them are like, ah, oh, man, this is what's going on, and I'm praying for this friend. And others are like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm just trying to go to class and sleep and eat. And like, no, no, let's think about this domain. Like, God has placed you on this floor, Jester Dormitory, 10th floor. Like, this is your little kingdom that God has given you, right? And so give, give the gospel. How can you serve those students on your floor? How can you give a message uh, of the gospel to your floor? So where has God placed you? Second thing, how could you serve the people that are in your domains? How could you serve them? Right? How could you be salty in those domains? It doesn't have to be uh, anything really fancy or expensive. It can be simple things. So uh, the, our neighborhood in Massachusetts, man, it was a tough nut to crack. I didn't, we didn't really even crack it that well. Um, so I was just looking for ways. How can I serve my neighbors? Well, we have these, we'd have these massive snowstorms. And so I'm out there plowing my, you know, shoveling my driveway and my sidewalks. And I look over and they're, what are my neighbors doing? They're doing the same thing. And so I would, you know, limp over after doing it for myself. And when my sons uh, and, and daughter were uh, old enough to help, I'd say, hey, guys, come help me. And we would go help our neighbors. You know, it was, it was one of those, just, just a way to serve them. And, you know, it's just not fun to shovel snow. And, uh, and so it was definitely, they, they, were, they would, like, look at me like, huh, okay. <laughs> like, like, this is something that meant something to them because they could, they could um, be served in, in a way. So how, do you, how can you serve? So where has God placed you? How could you serve? Um, and how could you speak up about the gospel? How could you speak up? Maybe it's a, hey, let's get coffee. I want to I share something that's really important to me. Um, maybe it's just being aware of opportunities. You know, I, I mentioned one just a, a few minutes ago. It's like someone's like, you are so nice. You, you're, you're amazing. You're, why, why are you just doing this for me? And, and instead of just saying, yeah, thanks, I am amazing, you know, tell them about Jesus. <laughs> No, the, the, why, why I am, who I am, I'm not perfect, but Christ has done this work in me. And I don't know if you'd be interested in knowing more about that. I'd be, I'd be willing to share about that. You know, something, something like that. Where you're looking for opportunities to speak up about the gospel. The, the Reynolds this weekend, they, uh, they had a kids club in their apartment. And they just kind of came up with this idea. And, and so they've been meeting friends and neighbors and kids um, at, the, at the dog park, I think mostly, and, uh, and, and building relationships. And then eventually we're like, huh, let's, let's have a, like a kid's event. Let's invite the kids, which of course includes the parents, and have an opportunity to share the gospel in the midst of that with crafts and games and, and gospel, right? And so this, this, is, this is the kind of stuff. How, how can we speak up? And, and it can be creative. It can be the Lord, he, man, he is not wringing his hands and thinking, how do I reach Austin, Texas? I just don't know what to do. He knows what to do. And, and as we listen to him, his word by the Spirit, he's, he's going to be very gracious and very generous with ideas for how to engage the city with the gospel. And then fourthly, fourth question here is to think about how can I invite people who are not yet Christians, into relationship with my Christian friends. 
I think this is a big part of how most people come to faith in Jesus, is by being in Christian community and not just seeing one friend. So if it's, if it's just one friend who's a Christian, they're like, yeah, you're just weird, you know? You're just different. Yeah, that's good for you. But when they see a group of people that are believers who love each other and love Jesus, it, it has an effect. And so just thinking about, okay, I'm going with my two Christian friends over uh, to get a coffee at Houndstooth. I could invite my neighbor who's about the same age to join us, and we could have just hangout time, right? And then you're, you're, you're being salty. Maybe there's an opportunity to speak up. Um, but it, it, it creates some community and uh, an opportunity for people to meet other people who are Christians. So that's some ways to think through it. Um, it may be that you're like, I know all that stuff, <laughs> and I'm just intimidated. I'm just, I'm scared to raise the flag that I'm a Christian. <laughs> among my workplace, among my friends, my, my neighbors. Um, sometimes that's because we feel ill-equipped. And if that's the case, let's talk. Let's talk. And we'll certainly weave in uh, some equipping experiences as we go as a, as a church. But if that's something you're like, I really want to engage, but I just, I need some equipping. I need to talk more about this, maybe read something. Let's talk. Let's talk. That's, that's why I'm here. I want, I want to help um, to do that. Uh, it may be feel fear. It may be you feel apathy. Right? I mean, I feel those on a regular basis. Okay. And I oftentimes I feel ill-equipped. I'm, I'm meet a person. I'm like, oh yeah, they they are gonna have some real issues with the gospel. We're gonna have some interesting conversations. And I'm not sure I can help them. Right? And there's a lot of stuff in here. Or I'm just afraid, or I'm just apathetic. I'm just like, man, I'm tired. I got stuff to do. I just, I just want to do my thing. I don't want to look outside myself, right? And so each, each section in this Sermon on the Mount, it's going to drive us back to the first verse, the first beatitude, right? That blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the beggarly, we said last week, right? And this is, this is how you want to approach this sermon, every section of it. It's not, okay, I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to try really hard this week. I'm going to be salt and light. That, that probably not going to last very long. But to admit, where, just honestly to God and one other, maybe two others, hey, this is where I'm at. I feel apathetic. I feel afraid. I want to be this, but I don't. I need to want to want. God, help me. And allow the, allow the scripture to bring you to that place of poor in spirit again and again and again and again. And I'm telling you, he'll meet you. He will meet you in the power of his spirit. He will give you that, that power you need, the wisdom you need. And as we cycle back to that poor in spirit, he will meet those needs. We're reminded of him meeting our needs every time we come to this table. Partly why being fully human is being on mission is because we're reflecting a missionary God. You may not think of God that way, but He is. He is a missionary God. He is on mission. So much so that He sent His own Son to die in our place. Talk about a mission. 
And so Jesus, talking about that mission, says that uh, on the night in which he was betrayed, uh, the night before his death, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. You talk about mission. You talk about pouring himself out for our sake. That is a beautiful picture of the missionary God that we've been invited to be on mission with. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it, gave it to them and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He speaks of a covenant community, and so that's the, that's the church. And this covenant community is on a, a very unique mission. Uh, that, that mission that was given to us in the garden, yeah, it's, that's, that's still in place, right? We should still be procreative and productive, and this is part of our call as humans in general. But he's also now saying, I want you to be salt and light in a world that has been decreated. And so we get to participate in this sort of recreation of the world through our acts of service and our explicit verbal witness. And so let's receive this yet again um, in remembrance of what Christ has done uh, for us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, I welcome you to the table. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to become one, to, to move toward Him in faith this morning. And receive his forgiveness, receive his new life, and welcome to the mission, <laughs> right? But if that's not, you're not there yet, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're processing that and want to talk more if you want to talk more. Uh, but if, during this time, uh, we encourage you to stay at your seat and not take the bread and the cup if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, all right? So I'm going to pray, and then uh, when you're ready, you can come forward, take the bread, take the cup, and then go back to your seat. And you take that whenever you're ready. You don't have to wait for me to indicate anything. Uh, you just pray and, and, and take it when you're ready. So let's pray. God, I give you thanks uh, for this bread, this cup, what it uh, symbolizes for us. The, the remembrance of what you did to meet our deepest need. And we, we had no way of meeting it. We had no way of fixing our sin problem and our separation from you, but, but you did what it took to bring us into right relationship with you. So we give you thanks for that. We, we, we come with open hands and uh, with humble hearts and receiving this and remembering uh, the poor in spirit posture that uh, we had as we entered into that new relationship with you. And we pray that it would stir that posture continually, um, that as we see your word in the high standard that it has, Lord, that we would come back again and again and again for more grace and more grace and more grace. And I know that that is what uh, you indeed want us to do. So thank you for that invitation. Thank you for this bread and cup. Uh, we pray you'd bless it and bless our time uh, as we take it and worship you together as a church. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.